Um, I chose the title of this course uh, specifically because um, but what I refused to do was just to call it social justice, okay, because um, the Catholic Church's social teaching is, is based upon principles of justice, but that social justice title has been used, I think, uh, in a, maybe not the best way over, over the course of, of the years. And um, so I, I chose the Catholic Church's social teaching to make it clear that um, this is what the Catholic Church teaches on, on social matters. Okay. And um, just a little historical background. I had some images up here, which I'm going to appear now. But, um, the Catholic Church's social teaching was uh, a response, a response to um, something called the Industrial Revolution. Does everyone know what the Industrial Revolution is? Back from school, we learned that. Um, the rise of industry, the rise of, of um, capitalists and laborers or workers, and um, the resulting injustices that happened in the wake of that Industrial Revolution. And uh, here's Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of the Industrial Revolution. A rapid major change in an economy, as in England in the late 18th century, marked by the general introduction of power-driven machinery or by an important change in the prevailing types and methods of the use of such machines. There were many injustices in, in, in the wake of the Industrial Revolution with laborers and uh, Workers were treated unjustly. You had low wages because um, the idea of, of the laissez-faire capitalists okay, um, just let the market run as it will. Well, um, those who own the capital tried to get, as most owners of businesses would, would try to do, okay, unless they have a real Christian viewpoint, uh, the lowest wages to pay as possible. So you had low wages, very long working hours, because uh, it was typical 12, 14 hour working days, back in the late 1700s and in the 1800s. Um, workers were required to work seven days a week. Um, there was no day of rest, no time off to worship God. Even wives and children had to work. And uh, here's a, just a quote about the injustice of child labor. They began work at 5.30 a.m., quit at 7 at night. Children six years old were going home to lie on a straw pallet until time to resume work the next morning. I have seen the hair torn out of their heads by machinery 
scalps torn off, and yet not a single tear was shed, while the poodle dogs were loved and caressed and carried to the seashore, supposedly by the owners of the, the businesses. Okay, and I'm, I'm not saying every owner of business was like this, but you know these were the conditions. Um, workers were not able to save money for retirement; they were unsafe working conditions, and there was no insurance-related uh, compensation for injuries, for sickness, for death, especially of the, the main breadwinner. Uh, no unemployment insurance. Workers had no right uh, to form laborers co to collectively bargain as an organized group. And uh, <clears throat> well, in the res in response to the injustices, uh, you had some people, probably the most famous, a guy named Karl Marx. Okay, and uh, here's a quote from Karl. Let the ruling classes tremble at a communist revolution. The proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains. They have a world to win. Working men of all countries unite. That's kind of a famous line. Anyone, anyone ever heard of that? Working men of all countries unite. That was kind of the socialist um, call to action, okay? And um, uh, what is socialism? Well, it's in Marxist theory, um, socialism, also called lower stage communism, or the socialist mode of production, refers to a specific historical phase of economic development and its corresponding set of social relations that supersede capitalism in the schema of historical materialism. Now, um, Karl Marx. He, he drew from philosophers of the uh, 19th century, and um, he adopted a theory called dialectical materialism. Okay? That, um, and it's atheistic, that uh, one force moved against another, and then it produced something else. Okay? And this is how he explained, and how many you could say modern-day physicists try to explain uh, the, the universe nowadays, okay, and how life came to be, um, how life came on Earth. Okay? It, it came from non-life just because of these molecules and different forces working against one another. There is uh, one working against another, and it produces a third, and and you know, life was produced, and there are then an evolutionary process takes place. Um, and Marx applied this dialectical materialism, which is atheistic, to uh, the social sphere. And his idea was that the proletariats, the proletariat, okay, the working class, the, the oppressed, would rise up, cast off their chains, throw, overthrow. The capitalists, and then you'd have you know a wonderful uh, social uh, setting where everyone was no one owned property, and everyone just shared uh, together in this beautiful communist state. Okay. Um, well, I had a picture of him here, but you can't see it. Okay. Uh, 
the church responded to both the laissez-faire capitalism, which resulted in injustices to workers, and also to Karl Marx, his proposed solution to, um, to right the injustices of the laissez-faire capitalists. And actually, he wasn't the first. There were, there were bishops who were writing. But uh, the church's social teaching really sees its beginning in uh, 1891 with an encyclical called Rerum Novarum. And I looked on the Vatican website. You can, get, you can just plug in the words Rerum Novarum and uh, do a Google search. It'll come up to be the Vatican website. You get it. And how it's defined in English is um, capitalists and workers, OK? Or capitalism and, and, and workers. Uh, Rerum Novarum actually means of the new things, okay, of the social, economic, and political order. And what Pope Leo XIII was, was, was responding to was, uh, well, the injustices on the one hand and, and the false solution proposed by Marx on the other hand. And uh, you fast forward 100 years from Rerum Devarum, which begins really the, properly the Catholic Church's social teaching with Pope Leo XIII's encyclical, a beautiful encyclical. You have a number of other social encyclicals by popes that followed, okay? um, especially by Pope Pius XI, um, Pope Pius XII, uh, Pope uh, Paul VI. And, um, and John Paul II, in the year 1981, 100 years after the first social encyclical by Leo XIII, John Paul II issues his encyclical Centesimus Annus, which was uh, the 100th year to commemorate it. And it's, it's probably the, the best thing to read, I think, hands down, if you want to learn the church's social teaching, to read John Paul II's encyclical, Centestimus Annus, on the 100 year anniversary of, uh, of uh, Rerum Novarum, because he summarizes the whole, the past 100 years in the encyclical, if anyone has, has started to read it yet, okay? I have a homework assignment for you, anyway, for the next time, so with, with a study guide to go through it, if you haven't. And all you do is you do a Google search, you put in Chetestimus Santos, and it'll come up. You want to click the Vatican website, and, uh, and it's there. And you can download it and print it off. And I see someone else has done that, Jim. You made a copy of this. Yeah. this is, okay. Yeah, that's, that's what the Vatican website looks like. Um, that's what the document looks like. So, um, and even if you didn't want to print it off, you can just read it on there. With I have a study guide, and you can just go through questions. I tried to hit the, the major important teachings, and it's about 10 pages long. Uh, if you, well, I'll, I'll pass it out at the end of the class here. I may have to make some more copies, but uh, I can do that in a little break. So, um, 
John Paul II's encyclical is a, just a marvelous uh, kind of a, an overview of the church's social teaching over the previous hundred years. And does anyone know what was happening in 1991 when he wrote it? There was something rather earth-shaking that was happening in 1991. Yeah. And in the few years before 91. What? What? No, 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 I'm not. No, no. Something more, more earth-shaking than that. What? The fall of communism. Oh, see? Yeah, I mean, this, this happened sort of like in 89, 90, 91. So communism was, was dismantling, okay? It started in the late 80s, and uh, I think it was, you know, I don't have the date in front of me right now, but by 91, it was just, it had crumbled, okay? And uh, one of the things John Paul II notes in his encyclical is that uh, this was a prophecy, a fulfillment of a prophecy. <clears throat> Because Leo XIII, in critiquing uh, socialism and communism by Marx, said, this will not work. It is, it is um, doomed to fail, basically, because it is based upon uh, a false Christian anthropology and understanding of man, okay, um, the human person, um, as if everyone's going to live together happily and just share everything. Right. That's not human nature. Folks, you know. um, I'll just add as, as a little side note. I lived in Nauvoo, Illinois for three years. I was the pastor there. Anyone know what Nauvoo, Illinois is known for? A fellow named Joseph Smith, who started out in New York, the founder of the Mormons, okay? Then he moved to, um, where was it, Ohio, and then he moved to Nauvoo. And uh, he built a temple there, and uh, they, they ran them out of town. They killed Joseph Smith and his brother. But um, um, anyway, um, what was my point I was talking about? I lost my uh, When I was in, in Nauru, uh, oh. oh, oh, that's that's right. In Nauru, they had a, a communist, uh, after Joseph Smith, Actually, after Brigham Young took took the people, you know, out to Utah, and there was another group, by the way, many people don't know this. Um, uh, Joseph Smith's son took a group to Independence, Missouri. So there are two Mormon groups, okay, and they, they kind of are in battle against one another, so to speak, uh, in, in some ways. But um, this this group moved in that were that liked the idea of communism, and it just it just didn't work. I mean, it, it fell apart. Everyone was not always willing to share everything they had. Um, that really goes against human nature, and that's something that Pope Leo XIII pointed out, okay? why um, socialism and, and its, its form in communism as it would evolve would, would eventually fail. Okay? Um, John Paul II, just to kind of lead off with um, the importance of the church's social teaching. Uh, he says here, this is in Centesimus Annus number 57, as far as the church is concerned, the social message of the gospel must not be considered a theory, but above all, a basis and a motivation for action. Today, more than ever, 
the church is aware that her social message will gain credibility more immediately from the witness of actions than as a result of internal logic and consistency. And then uh, number 40 from the same encyclical, there are needs and common goods that cannot be satisfied by the market system. It is the task of the state and of all society to defend them. An idolatry of the market alone cannot do all that should be done. Okay? Um, I'll just I'll just say this. I remember when uh, John Paul II issued his encyclical in '91, and you know I remember preaching on it and saying, you know, uh, this is a prophecy fulfilled. I mean that that communism and Marxism was doomed to fail because it's 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 based upon a misunderstanding of, of the human person. But uh, and and actually the uh, many of the the so-called capitalists, um, uh, conservatives, and among them Catholics in this country, were praising John Paul. But they weren't reading the whole of the document. That statement I just read to you, you know, they were kind of ignoring that because uh, Leo XIII and John Paul II both criticized not only communism, but this idea of idolatry of the free market. And as long as we have a free market, everything will be fine. And you know, no, 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 no. So, um, and uh, <clears throat> now I'll turn to with that little historical background. Okay, where the church's social teaching comes from, and it's it's, it's very rich. You can you can spend you know a course reading through all the social encyclopedias just. Know, like a college course, it would be a good course to teach. Uh, I passed out this um, basic principles of the church's social teaching. And I tried to get down, you know, just kind of nail down the basics to give people an understanding. I worked on this for a number of years. I, I've, you know, tweaked it and things like that. I think the preliminary truth is um, that the Catholic Church, <coughs> founded by Christ to provide light for the world through its teaching, provides guidance to peoples and nations on social economic questions. Okay? I mean, because if, if even a Catholic would say, well, what right does the Church have to teach on these things? Well, the Church is applying the gospel to the social question. And why does the church have a right to do that? Because the Catholic Church was founded by Christ to be the light to the world, to enlighten the nations, okay? Uh, the Vatican document, the dogmatic constitution on the church, is called Lumen Gentium. Lumen means light, a light of the nations, okay? And uh, that document didn't talk about church and social teaching, but I mean, the idea is that the church's teaching is, uh, is to guide uh, people, individuals, economies, governments, to give them principles to, to uh, assist them in attaining a just social order. And here's the thing that I would say, not so much communists, because they're really not around today. I mean, you have them even 
you know, China is, uh, I mean, they're, they, they use capitalism because they realize this is where the money is, okay? But um, uh, people today who are uh, the free marketers, you know, they, they and, and Catholics among them, they want to just ignore the church's social teaching. Like, oh, you know, this is something that, you know, the church recommends. Absolutely not. The church uh, requires that we adhere to, the, to its social teaching. This isn't optional to follow, in other words, okay? So um, there, there are groups, um, individuals and groups, who, who take the idea that, oh, we can just, you know, maybe look at the church's social teaching as recommendations, but you know, do our own thing. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Acton Institute. Okay. There's the Father Sirico, he he's, operates out of Detroit, and he kind of takes this line, it's more of a libertarian view, and um, you know, he's, I don't have the quotes in front of me, but he's made some kind of disparaging remarks about you know, the papal teaching, and, and you know, the church really doesn't know about economics, this is a science. Balderdash. I mean, the, the church has studied science and, I mean, economics, and, and uh, we're applying, the church is applying the teachings of Christ to, you know, the social economic issues of our day. It's not optional to follow. It's required, okay? Um, the, um, the, the free marketers and the libertarians don't like to hear that, okay? even amongst Catholics. And um, I remember... Um, I used to subscribe to National Review. I dropped it many years ago when, uh, when they fired uh, Joseph Sobrand, who was a great writer, because Joseph Sobrand criticized the Jews, and you can't do this, okay? Um, legitimately, he had some good criticisms, and, and Buckley just got, you know, William Buckley, he got pressure, so he, he fired Joseph Sobrand, and I fired off a letter. I said, well, I'm, I'm not subscribing to your, your magazine anymore. But he had, like many, writers on his staff that were criticizing uh, John Paul II for criticizing uh, you know, laissez-faire capitalism and the idea that we have to follow the church's teaching. Uh, there's this mentality out there by, by some. Okay? And uh, there is a, uh, well, I quote here, in number one, the preliminary truth um, from Centesimus Annus, uh, number five, okay? The church has something to say about specific human situations, both individual and communal, national and international. Okay, this is page one, it's right, right there. Right. Okay, number one, the preliminary truth I'm quoting from there. Okay. So, uh, she, the church formulates a general doctrine for these situations, a corpus which enables her to analyze social realities, to make judgments about them, to indicate directions to be taken for the just resolution of the problems involved. Okay. This is the church's right and duty. I underline that, you see. And this is because there can be no genuine solution of the social question okay, apart from the gospel. Okay. You're not going to solve the social problems of our world unless you turn to the gospel. So, you know, Democrats, Republicans, they're all wrong on this. They're all wrong because they're all ignoring the gospel as, as a solution to, to solving the social problems. And uh, because, you know, the Catholic Church was founded by Christ to both interpret and apply the gospel 
Christ's teaching to a fallen world. Okay? Um, and there's a corollary here, and I was you know, referring to this before, I put it in bold, the church's social doctrine is not optional. And uh, I quote here from the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, number 62. Uh, there's a little, uh, actually it's not little, it's, it's, a, it's a volume about this thick. Okay? It's called the Compendium of the Church's Social Doctrine. It's marvelous, it's, it's by different categories and, and here's what it says. Okay? You, can, you can order it online, you can probably get a, a used copy for about two bucks. Okay? Um, With her social teaching, the church seeks to proclaim the gospel and make it present in the complex network of social relations. It is not simply a matter of reaching out to man and society, but of enriching and permeating society itself with the gospel. So um, we are, are, you could say, bound by the church's social teaching to follow uh, the broad principles. Now, I, I say this because the church doesn't you know, look at a specific economic program and critique it and say you have to do this and this and this. No, the church is not into that business. Okay, that's that's for the church doesn't fine tune things. What the church does is lay down broad principles and um, applying the gospel to the social question. And there is, I'll just say, uh, uh, and I think I say this later on, but there's a tension okay, between we say the Democrats and the Republicans on this. Okay, I'll, I'll refer to this later when I when I get to the specific topics. But you know the Democrats like to emphasize uh, more of uh, you know assisting the poor, and the Republicans like to to uh, stress more um, uh, you know let let uh, the free market run and, and this will produce prosperity. And well, they're both wrong. In, in the sense of overemphasizing just one point, there's there's a there's a uh, you know a, a synthesis that has to be reached, and uh, how that is done is just worked out in, in the political sphere sometimes not to the best not in the best way I'll say that okay, but um, so the preliminary truth is that the church has a right to speak on these things okay, and we have a duty to listen to the church. We can't just blow off the church's social teachings. Well, this is just you know some pope's recommendation on what should be done. No, it's, this is this is you know um, this is a body of teaching that that has developed over over a century, and um, the insights are are really are really marvelous. Um, the second principle, I think, okay, I just I did I didn't necessarily put these in. Well, I, I kind of try to put them in an order okay, of, of, of value. The dignity and value of the human person. Okay. Um, fundamental principle of Pope Leo XIII's 1891 encyclical, Verbum For a social, political, economic system to be morally good and efficient, it's necessary to have a correct view of the human person and of the person's unique value inasmuch as the human being is the only creature on earth, which God willed for itself. Okay. And uh, actually, that's a quote from Centesimus Annus. That's what CA means at the end there, okay? But it was the Pope, John Paul II, was quoting from Gaudium et Spes, that's the Second Vatican Council document, okay? 
the idea that human person, we're, we have unique value. We are the only creature that God has willed for itself. God made us for him, and our hearts are restless until we rest in him. He didn't make you know, Fido and the alligators and the giraffes and everything else for the same purpose. Okay? Uh, he made us you know, in his image and likeness. So that was, you could say, the fundamental error of atheistic communism. And I like to use the, the adjective atheistic when, when referring to communism, because it is atheistic. And uh, Marx was really uh, a philosopher, you know, not really an economist. And uh, you know this idea of, uh, of one thing coming against another, and you, you get a, a synthesis and a new creation, and you know the, 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 the proletariat is going to overthrow the capitalist, and then you're going to have this, this synthesis of this beautiful um, uh, living situation where everyone's nice and happy because they're everyone's sharing it. Well, um, by denying the existence of God, which Marx did, the individual person loses his or her dignity and value, becomes a material element in the entire social organism. So the good of the individual is completely subordinated to the social economic functioning of the state. And I, I quote uh, Joseph Stalin here, who starved 10 million Ukrainian farmers for refusing to give up their land to the state. To make an omelet the socialist state, you have to break a few eggs, kill millions of people. The social state was the most important thing. In other words, the individual is, we're here to serve the state. That's the Marxist view, to build up the state. No, it's just the opposite. The state is here to serve the individual. We're not here to serve the state. We, we should you know, serve the state in, in you know, our capacity as you know, being a good citizen, doing our, our social duty. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the idea of, of you know, your individuals have no meaning and value because we're not made in God's image. And um, um, such an approach, approach violates the basic moral principle, do no evil that good may come of it. Okay? Um, Stalin's approach that you know, we just have to kill a few million people, like, like, like Hitler. I mean, we have to just you know, get rid of certain classes of people to have a, this super race. You know, Stalin, uh, was was actually in, in some ways worse than him. Um, anyone ever read the Gulag Archipelago by Ag Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Um, if you have it like a, a couple of months, just read through it. It's, it's, it's no, it's I I got done reading. I remember getting finished reading it, and I thought every high school student should be required to read at least part of this because he talks about the horror of atheistic communism. And, um, and what Leo XIII pointed out is socialism is also unjust because it robs people of the lawful possession of property as opposed to private individual ownership of property. Kind of. Unless you're in the ruling class of the communists, okay? I mean, it's all hypocrisy because, you know, the, those who are in power, well, they're going to live high on the hog, which is what they do. It's like the Chinese, you know, they're working for slave labor, but those in the government are reaping all the profits, okay? In Mexico, I was down in Mexico 25 years ago, and uh, 
it's not any different right now. I mean, the, you know, the, the wages are, are slave wages, basically, and uh, uh, it's, it's, the people at the top are, are getting all the profits, and the workers are getting the shafts, so to speak. Okay? Um, well, with the, the idea of the human person having dignity and value, okay, the primacy of that, um, are two corollaries. One is the family. And you know, I could just go off here and spend you know, a month talking about the family and its importance because you know, the redefinition of the family now and by the Supreme Court or whatever and attempts to, to dismantle it, okay? Um, this is what the compendium of the church's social doctrine says. It is in this cradle of life and love, family, that people are born and grow. It is the family, therefore, that in the family, that mutual giving of self on the part of man and woman, united in marriage, creates an environment of life in which children develop their potentialities, become aware of their dignity, and prepare to face their unique and individual destiny. Okay. The family is the fundamental cell of society. Okay. And this is why we're in a mess. One of the reasons why we're in a mess, because uh, there's an old saying, as the family goes, so goes the culture. And um, when you have you know, a, a lack of families and, and dysfunctional families, it just, it's bad for everyone. It's bad economically. I mean, the, all the statistics show there's, there's, a, a, there's a blog that uh, used to be run by Maggie Gallagher. Uh, she's a, a, a columnist. Anyone ever heard of her? Read her, Maggie Gallagher? Okay. Yeah, and she, it was her marriage blog. She just put statistics. She, she left that to go off and write books or something. Someone else took it over who's very good. And they're always quoting these statistics that um, uh, women who are, are abandoned by the father of the children, okay, they're always poor. I mean, this is one of the biggest causes of poverty. If you can get people married and you, know, you have a husband and a wife, a mother and a father taking care of the children, you do much better economically. It's, it's economic suicide to have what we're having now. I mean, and, and you have all these entitlement payments, and it's all, it's all a big mess, okay? Uh, because the family isn't, isn't intact. It's, it's in disarray. Uh, I mean, in my neighborhood, just you know, north here a little bit, I'm just, I'm just quoting figures, okay? I think it's the last I saw, 73% of, of black children are born out of wedlock. Yeah. And if you, and I've tracked this number from when, like 20 years ago, it was 60% and then it went up to 65% and now it's 73. Um, guess how many young black men between 18 and, and 30 are in prison on probation or parole? 50%. 73%. It's, it's like the same. It's gone up. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. And this is why I fault, um, Know, the leaders of the black community, like Jesse Jackson and these folks, because they don't address this. Uh, the people that are honest address it. And uh, uh, the black leadership has to address this. I mean, and it's not just the blacks. I mean, if there are lower statistics. Uh, the Hispanics, I think it's, uh, it's about maybe between 50 and 60 of Hispanics now are born out of wedlock. 
and uh, of the Caucasian population, I think it's about 40 now. I mean, you're, you're getting to the point where there are more <clears throat> out of wedlock births, I think, wasn't that the, the statistic last year, than, than births into a family. And this is just, it's suicide for, for an economy, for, for, uh, for a, a good society. Because you know everyone suffers for this. I mean that's why the family is so important, and, and why redefining the family is is just um, it's essential. We can't do this because you can't you can't be redefining the family. Because if you can say, you know, two people of the same sex can get married, there's no reason why why one man can't have more than one spouse, why you just can't have multiple spouses, and it's, this is just not. Um, Good for, for children, it's not good for families, it's not good for society, okay? The second corollary, the family takes priority over society and over the state, okay? The pro and this is from the compendium, the priority of the family over society and over the state must be affirmed. The family possesses inviolable rights and finds its legitimization in human nature and not being recognized, and not in, not in being recognized by the state. In other words, uh, the family precedes the state. It's not that the state, you know, you know, blessed the family and it came into being. No, the family, uh, the state is, is a composite of families. So uh, that's why the family takes priority over the state. That's why parents have the natural right to educate their children if they want to. And they can homeschool, see. Now, the state would have it's arguable the right you know that you have to know certain things you know because you, to function in the society, but um, you know you can't take that right away. Although in some places it's done. Well, in Germany you can't do this. You know, Germany there they've there was a famous case of a, a family maybe even more than one where they've locked them up for trying to homeschool. You, know, you can't do this. Um, so the family then does not exist for society or the state, but society and the state exists for the family. And that's, that's the same with the individual, too. We as individuals don't exist for the state. Because if we do, we're just expendable. Now, uh, <clears throat> the next, big, well, I'll tell you what, I've been talking for 40 minutes, so I'll take just a little break here before I start on um, the next topic. Oh, uh, tell you, one thing I, before I before I leave off, going back to number one, which I that had in my PowerPoint, I wanted to point out, okay, um, about the the church and its teaching, okay, um, because to understand this, you have to understand that Christ is King, and the church is the kingdom of Christ on earth that is in the process of being fully perfected. And it will only be perfected, the kingdom, which is the church, at the end of time. When Christ comes, the final separation of the sheep and the goats takes place, and all the members of Christ's body are united to him, and he hands over everything to the Father. Then the kingdom is complete. Okay? And why is Jesus king? Okay, this is Pope Leo XIII, his 1899 encyclical, uh, 
a different encyclical. It was on the consecration of the world to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Jesus is king by a natural right. What natural right does Jesus have that makes him king? He's our creator. He's what? He's our creator. Yeah, he's God. Okay, that's the natural right. But he's also king by an acquired right. The acquired right is the cross. He became man and he suffered and died for us. Okay. So, uh, now, here's the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 567. And like I said, this ties in with the idea of uh, the church having authority to teach. Okay? The Catechism of the Catholic Church, 567. 567. I quote, the kingdom of heaven was inaugurated on earth by Christ. This kingdom shown out before men in the word, in the works, and in the presence of Christ. The church is the seed and beginning of this kingdom. Its keys are entrusted to Peter. And here is the Catechism of the Catholic Church 768. On the same topic of the church being the kingdom of Christ on earth. We're talking about the Catholic Church. There's only one church. You are Peter, right? On this rock I will build my church, singular. Okay. Um, the others have splintered off, and um, um, there's only one church. Here's number 768 of the Catechism. So that she can fulfill her mission, the Holy Spirit bestows upon the church varied hierarchic and charismatic gifts, and in this way directs her. Okay. Those hierarchic and charismatic gifts is, you know, Pope, the bishops, they have the authority to teach, okay? Henceforward, the church, endowed with the gifts of her founder and faithfully observing his precepts of charity, humility, self-denial, receives the mission of proclaiming and establishing among all peoples the kingdom of Christ and of God. Okay. So this is the church's business, to extend the kingdom, go out and preach the good news to all the nations. Jesus wanted every single person on earth to be, become a member of his one holy Catholic and apostolic church that he found. And this is why the church has authority to teach, uh, because it's given by Christ. 